Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. Hello, I'm Michael Studd, and this is Saved for Later from Guardian Australia, the podcast where we apparently can't stop laughing to distract from the existential doom of the internet. I'm Steph Harmon. And I'm Alex Gorman. This week, Adele single-handedly changed the way we listen to music on Spotify after asking the streaming platform to get rid of its default shuffle setting for albums. So we're bringing in an ARIA-winning singer-songwriter, Georgia Mooney, to talk to us about what it's like to make music for the world of streaming. And she's brought in some actually quite shocking numbers about the money side of it as well. Plus, Alex forces all of us to go back to primary school with an extremely online vocabulary quiz. And as always, at the end of the show, we'll drop in our recommendations so you too can find joy in a world of existential despair. So it's been a big news week for minor tech gripes because Spotify has stopped shuffling albums by default. So I read this news and I was really confused because when I listen to albums on Spotify, they're not automatically shuffling. No, me neither. But um, Alex, you've experienced this phenomenon because you're just too lazy to press into the album and play the full song. Look, I'm just going on the user journey they planned for me. But yeah, non-paying users are still going to default to shuffle. But now for paying users... It's no longer the default button. And that's all because of Adele. She tweeted, We don't create albums with so much care and thought into our track listings for no reason. Our art tells a story and our story should be listened to as we intended. Thank you, Spotify, for listening. So then Spotify says anything for you. Which, by the way, was like this like very cursed brand tweet yet again. Like the ones we've seen. I feel like when I saw it, I couldn't help but read it like, anything for you? Oh, I hate that. I mean, I think this like, it just speaks to how much power Adele has at this point. I think Easy On Me broke records. 24 million listens in the first week. And the full album accrued 60 million streams globally in a day. So, like, obviously Spotify is making a bunch of money from these artists at the moment, and we'll get into this, but probably making more money than the artists themselves. Which is why we have brought in someone who can speak exactly to what the artist intends 
and to the vagaries of Spotify. <laughs> Georgia Mooney, she is a rock star singer-songwriter, one-fourth of the ARIA award-winning indie folk band All Our Exes Live in Texas, a solo artist, a podcaster, my ginger twin. <laughs> <laughs> she also sang at my wedding. Thank you so much. Flex, 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 flex. Georgia, hi! <laughs> hi, guys. First of all, I have to ask, um, because of a very famous cancellation that happened early this week, have we actually listened to the Adele album, seeing as we're now talking about it? Because I certainly have not. Uh, I am also going to put my hand up and say I have not. Go easy on me. I have only listened to the single. Oh, my gosh. I've got to admit, I've, I've listened to the whole album yesterday and I did cry three times before I got to the end. Yay. Just as the artist intended. It was a hormonal day, to be honest. (laughs) But nevertheless, she took me on a journey and it was a delight. (laughs) I do want it on record that were we being flown halfway across the world this week to interview Adele, we would have given the album a spin. Um, Unlike, as Michael alluded to, Channel 7's Matt Duran, who was ridiculed for not listening to the preview link before he interviewed her. He said he just didn't get the email. Look, I can empathise with Duran on a number of levels. First of all, because I have too many emails. And secondly, (laughs) because album preview screener tech is super annoying to use. Oh, yeah. So bad. So, Georgia, do you generally listen to the whole album? (laughs) I listen to the whole album, yeah. And I think this is a funny topic because it's kind of such a tiny thing but such a big thing at the same time. Like, it seems a bit mad that the default was ever not start from the beginning. Mm. Like that just sort of seems very obvious. Yeah. And I don't know why we've sort of felt the need to spice it up with shuffle because I do think some people think of it in terms of narrative arc, which is what Adele's talking about, and then other people just sort of think of it in terms of curating more of a sonic journey and kind of like if you were an artist and you were had a show at a gallery you know, you think really carefully about where you're going to place each artwork so that when the person comes in, they're going to have a certain experience, mm. which will be totally different to each person, but still you've it's your kind of last creative chance to have an impact on the presentation. Whereas if you went into a gallery that was randomly sorted, it would be a very different potential experience. But at the same time, so many people are obviously going to just pick their favourite songs or whack it on a playlist and you can still very easily choose to shuffle again. So it's kind of tiny as well. Yeah, I think what Spotify has taught us more than anything is to kind of appreciate the random selections of playlists and and start creating playlists of music that isn't ordered by the artist. Mm. But to me, I think I was really surprised, like, that so many people for so long had been suffering this shuffle syndrome because I hadn't heard anything about it. And the way that I engage is to always go for the, f- I'm, I'm not, a sn- I am obviously a snob. <laughs> Even when I was younger, when I'd buy an album, I would go home and like could not wait to listen to the order that that was intended because it was part of the narrative. I'm, I'm just shocked people have been doing this, to be honest. Mm. Well, famously, we're all snobs, but I feel like the only person <laughs> who might not be a snob here is Alex, who said that she has been using this shuffle function. Alex, w- what is it like listening to an album on shuffle? Oh, it sucks. <laughs> it's a mistake every time. <laughs> So let's cast our minds back to before shuffling was a technical possibility. Georgia, I'd love for you to talk to us about the first album you bought and the one that you're still ride or die no shuffle for. I think embarrassingly the first album I ever bought was Backstreet Boys. Nice. Not embarrassing. (laughs) And I definitely listened to albums from start to finish 
on a discman. Mm. And, you know, you kind of had to do that because you, unless you were carrying lots of CDs around in your bag, you were sort of like attached to one album for a day probably. And skipping songs would, you know, there were delays. It, it, was, oh, it yeah. could be a real nightmare. It was just hard enough keeping the discman still so it didn't yeah. skip. <laughs> <laughs> My God. So that's how old we are. Um, Remember they came with anti-shock for like extreme <laughs> train journeys? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Back of the bus shock. Yeah. Yeah, I think artists that have a lot of kind of emotional impact, like Joni Mitchell and stuff, when I want to really get in a zone. It's coming on Christmas, they're cutting down trees, they're putting up reindeer and singing songs of joy. Those artists I have to listen from start to finish. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like doing a meditation. You need to just get in their world for a while. And I think like, yeah, if you're going to an album for a particular experience, then you you can like, you know, I need to be uplifted and these are the three <laughs> Joni Mitchell songs that'll do it. No, sorry, mate. <laughs> but what I was going to say is I think like lyrical artists are the ones that I tend to be gravitate towards for the longest period of time. So I'm like probably the most loyal to those artists. Mm. And maybe because they're so lyrical, I'm thinking about like Ockerville River, for instance. Here I am back home again. I'm here to rest. All they ask is where I've been. They've done a few albums that I would just be furious with anybody for listening to out of order. And I think that I have this particular loyalty to particularly lyrical artists that I'm like, you have done every single thing on this album intentionally. Like everything Mm. is a choice and I'm going to be here with you on that. Yeah, the thought of listening to XO just for the biggest hits and not carrying through that entire story an Elliot Smith album is oh, yeah. horrifying to me and I know because I've done it by accident on Spotify. First the mic, then a half cigarette. And then there's like there's artists like the Hold Steady who's like almost their entire back catalogue seems to be talking to itself in a way that like, you know, you've got to listen to the albums in order of their track list, but also in the order in which they were released. Mm. Similarly to Steph, I guess, I was thinking like Sufjan Stevens, mm. like Carrie and Lowell kind of era. I feel like mm. that's something that you have to listen to all the way through. I think if you put it on shuffle, then you'll get too many songs in a row, which will make you cry. And then one yeah. like breaks in the middle. <laughs> it's almost like structured with cry intermissions. Totally. Very thoughtful of him, actually, I'd say. Was that your experience with the Adele album, Georgia? That there were... <laughs> Cry spots? <laughs> Absolutely. And it, yeah, it was the perfect for my walk around Marrickville. Um, I cried at <laughs> in all the right moments, not in the cafe, but just after the cafe. You know, Passing two chaps, bawling. She'd mapped the journey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Going through Henson Park, tears flowing. Georgia, how long does it take you to playlist an album? Like, how much thought goes into it? Oh my gosh, so much. I'm currently in the middle of it now because I've just finished recording a solo album and we're at the track listing part. Plug. And it's <laughs> secret plug. And it's um it's really tricky because there's kind of Spotify can kind of play into it a little bit because there's also stuff like um you know there's a theory that people will play the first few songs more than the rest of the album. So then do you mm. kind of mm. like bunch up the the up-tempo ones to the top or that, I mean, that sort of sounds like hell, doesn't it? Do they call it banger bunching? <laughs> they should. <laughs> um, but also people are buying vinyl and so you're thinking about side A and side B. And so there's kind of all different experiences that you're trying to curate in one 
gesture, which is a bit weird. Yeah. And I guess it, it doesn't help that you have like data feeding back. Like you can actually, yeah. you can look at your Spotify listens and realize when your fans stopped being interested in your album, which I can imagine feels very brutal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's lovely. It's, it's too much information at this point. <laughs> so it's definitely tricky, but I suppose you also try and think of it like a live show and how you would kind of structure the songs in a live mm. show. Maybe you have a similar approach to track listing an album but yeah moral of the story it takes ages <laughs> but does it change like your individual songs at all do you think like thinking about how this is going to feel online in amongst the noise of the internet I think it has for some artists I think because you can now find all these horrifying stats about you know how long people listen to a song and therefore should you have the chorus come in at the 30-second mark before people skip or there's that kind of philosophy that songs should be shorter and that you should have more of them because if you're getting paid per stream, then why would you waste all that time with a long song when you could cut it in half and have two songs and twice the money? So I think that kind of stuff is really interesting. And like Billie Eilish has 16 songs on her last album, arguably four too many, you know, but (laughs) that's a lot more money. I think I'm sure labels encourage writing around that kind of stuff. But I think probably artists are trying to still make art for art's sake. (laughs) It looks like this has been going on for, you know, quite some time though as well. Like there Mm. there was an article in The Verge in 2019 that reported when artists are getting paid for streams. 30 seconds of a song will count as a stream. So kind of anything after that, it's not wastage, but like in a label's eyes, it would definitely be like the shorter the better, as you said. Um, And I think songs have been getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Like, I mean, looking at some of the recent TikTok stars turned songwriters and Mm. Addison Rae's Obsessed is 2 minutes 14. Bella Porch's Build a Bitch is just 2 minutes 02, Mm. Um, which actually (laughs) does not even feel like a full song to me at all. But then on the flip side, then you have like... Taylor Swift's All Too Well, 10-Minute Version, which just became the longest song to reach top of the Billboard charts. Mm. And even Mm. Adele's album is full of long tracks. Like, I Drink Wine is over six minutes. Mm. Do you think it's almost like only these huge international artists are really getting the rights from their labels and, like, from their teams to make these mega-long epic sagas? Maybe. I mean, it definitely makes more of a difference to people who make huge amount of money on streaming. And so if you're not making that much money on streaming anyway, like Mm. most of us, then it's kind of like, well, I may as well just try and make good music and forget about all that shit. So in the same Verge article that I mentioned earlier, um, they also talk about how a lot of modern pop songs are moving towards what they call um, a pop overture, which is basically when you take a song and at the very beginning it'll hint at a chorus for the first five or ten seconds and the, and the chorus will come back later. It's like how in all movie trailers now, they play like three seconds of the trailer first before they play the full trailer to get you really hooked. They have trailers for trailers. It's so disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so damning, right? Because it's like we're seeing all these ways. I mean, like the trailer thing, I think, is just because of the way that Facebook tracks views. Mm. Um, And the song thing is because of the way that Spotify tracks listen. So the actual way in which we're consuming things and seeing things is drastically changed. Like, Georgia, do you feel like Mm. like the structure of your songs has actually 
altered even subconsciously in your brain because of stats? Uh, I mean, sometimes I lie in bed at night stressing about <laughs> it, but never enough to actually change the music I'm making because I feel like that fundamentally is just the wrong way to do art. And mm. that's what it really should be all about. It's like if you're trying to write a hit, you're in trouble. Mm. It doesn't affect me. It just kind of sometimes annoys me. But I think at the same time, Spotify has obviously been really great for building an audience and it it means that you can hear more diverse music because you can hear all the music. Um, and so songs can, like, for example, at the moment on my album, I've got some songs that are quite stylistically different to one another and I've been umming and ahhing about whether that's a problem, but I don't feel with streaming maybe it is as much of a problem to have super consistency on an album because each song kind of can have a journey of its own. If it gets picked Mm. up on a playlist or if it gets added to someone else's playlist, you kind of got room to be a bit more creative in a weird way. So yeah, it's a kind of, it's, it's, it's so many things at once. So you mentioned before you weren't making much money. Let's talk about that. These services are infamously cagey about how much actually goes directly to the artists. Most, if you're signed to a label, goes to the label. We know that because they own the rights. That's why Taylor Swift is now re-recording her whole back catalogue. But how about you? How much money are we talking? It's hard to really know. And a lot of that is to do with, yeah, there's not a great deal of transparency. Also, it can sort of just feel like, voodoo mystery. So there's a lot of variables at play. Spotify pays different rates in different countries. Also free pays less than premium does. Mm. But if you sort of, you can kind of average it out to Spotify pays about less than half a cent per stream. So Mm. I recently did the maths on our most streamed song because I was just like, I've never actually done the maths to find out income kind of trickles in from all these weird places, you don't often really go in to, yeah, exactly where you're getting things from Mm. everywhere. Mm. I probably should. It's the kind of thing you should know. (laughs) Anyway, only very recently did I actually do the sums. Um, So, for example, on a song, we've got a song which has had 5,300,000 streams. That works out to be about $21,000. So if you then divide that in half for the label cut, Mm -hmm. because we're on an indie label who do take 50%, Mm -hmm. so that becomes $10,500. Then subtract management and producer cut and bits and pieces, and that gets down to sort of Mm $7,900. And then if you divide it by four band members with equal cuts, because we go 25, 25, 25, 25, then it's $1,900. And then if you divide by five for the number of years it's been on Spotify, wow, it works out (laughs) that each band member has made about $396 (laughs) a year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. Yeah, so uh, rolling in it, basically, absolutely living the life. So it feels like in the last few years, there's been a bit of a reckoning in the music industry, like me too, obviously, but streaming has been in the spotlight, label deals, how rights work. Mm. There's been campaigns for better deals for artists. Yeah. In her tweet, Adele described removing the shuffle button as the only request I had in our ever-changing industry. Mm. How important do you think this is to you? I think it's really interesting and it's, yeah, obviously a huge conversation with many different roads we could go down, but I think streaming income is 
a really big issue because that's by far and away the way that we consume music now. And it has meant that because, generally speaking, streaming income is pretty low, artists are now having to rely on touring income to get Mm. most of their money. And that's, that's quite a privileged thing to be able to do to tour. It's expensive. Mm. Um, it's grueling. It's hard work. It's at risk of a pandemic. Yeah, yeah, and totally <laughs> can be shut down. So that's a tricky one. But I think it's also, yeah, like you say, I think there are conversations happening about sort of reforming distribution from streaming mm. companies, which is really important. And, and I mean, Spotify is too cheap. It definitely saved the music industry from piracy and and all that stuff, and they love to bang on about that. Mm. But when you think about how you pretty much only have one music subscription, but almost all of us have three or four or five TV and movie subscriptions, which add Mm. up to, you know, I had to think, we're not paying much money for all the music in the world. And so that's kind of a value question But at the same time, it's really hard to ask people to suddenly pay more money when they're used to not paying very much. So, yeah, there's Mm. a whole lot of stuff. But maybe streaming income is the biggest issue. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's call it. It really struck me when you said, you know, people are paying $18 a month or however much it is for their various services to have all of the music (laughs) in the whole world, which really kind of changes your relationship to music. Like I remember when I was a kid back in the early 19th century uh, (laughs) having to really save my pocket money to buy a single record and so that record Mm. had so much value Mm. imbued in it. Do you think the sort of having everything all the time at your fingertips is changing people's fundamental like relationship to music as something that has or does not have value? I think so. I think definitely since prior to streaming, there was piracy and where we could get stuff for free. So I think it's really shifted the the way we value content, which is just a very tricky thing to change. I I don't really know how you shift that again so people feel like, oh, actually, I need to be spending a bit more money on music. It's pretty greedy of me to expect that I can have Beethoven and the Beatles and everything in the whole wide world in my living room all at once. <laughs> yeah, it's. It, I do think it's a question of how much we value music and I think that is just a bit of a mystical one. As journalists, we would have no idea how to get people to start paying for something that they could get for free. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Georgia, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about all of that. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks so much, Georgia. Everybody go buy all of Georgia's music or just throw money at her when you see her on the street. (laughs) Thanks, guys. It's been awesome. Thank you. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Alex is going to quiz us on our extremely online vocab. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. So much to the fury of prescriptive grammarians, Please stop emailing me. <laughs> Language is a living organism. It changes, it evolves, words fall in and out of favour, usages come and go, and on the internet where everyone is talking all of the time, that evolution has accelerated. There is no greater evidence for that than Macquarie Dictionary's Word of the Year competition, which this year is down to a user vote. Fortunately, Wordy McWordface is not one of the words. But there are 19 words in there, and many of them have come from internet discourse. So I'm going to ask Steph and Michael to help define some of these words in a game that I am calling and this is an original coinage completely attributable to me, words with friends. <laughs> nice. Steph, are there any words you've picked up from online lately? Oh, mate, so many. I mean, I think brainworms is probably the one that I use most often because I have them. I use a lot of dog-related online terms like long boy and snoot. <laughs> I think most of it's the small quips like, thanks, I hate it, and can't unsee, and me right now. Like, I do a lot of that stuff. Mm. I think there's a few that really grind my gears, like some personal news whenever you're going to announce a job on Twitter or oh. I did a thing whenever you've, like, done a thing. But you hate it even when it's, like, used ironically as a joke. I know, I know, I know. I'm like, even <laughs> ironic I did a thing is over. Stop using it. I feel like every day I wake up in my house and it feels like a game of internet word association, reference association, where it's like someone will just say a word and then there will be, like, a sudden whiplash vine reference. Yeah. I feel like the best example of this is, like, my housemate was just making tortillas one day and then someone else quoted the iconic vine, literally walked into the kitchen and was like, Hurricane Katrina, more like Hurricane Tortilla. (laughs) (laughs) That is so dark. I also feel like I often key smash out loud to the chagrin of most people around me. What do you mean key smash? When I say key smash, I mean like when you type a random series of letters because something is so overwhelming or so funny that you just feel compelled to like, Um, but I feel like the specific key smash that I say out loud is... It's just SK, 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 SK. And the reason I started doing it was because there was this video that went viral of a news report in the US, which was reading out a fan's tweet about Ariana Grande. And the news reporter read out loud. Yeah, it's impossible to say and quite horrible to hear you say it. So there are 19 words up for this year's extremely competitive Macquarie Dictionary Word of the Year competition. One of the words this year is NFT, which are... We thought about defining on previous episodes of this podcast and then hard, hard no. Thankfully. So we're going to do millionaire style format. You need to buzz in and just give me a quick fire definition of what you think 
these words mean. Can we get a quick buzzer test? Steph? Buzz. Michael? Question one. What is a menti B? Oh, no, I've got this one too. It is a mental breakdown. I will say that I absolutely hate this term. Oh, I've <laughs> used it, I'm sure. <laughs> I absolutely hate this term. No, no menti, menti B and Lockie D, that was the one that was going around the most. Michael's correct. And Steph, you're correct too, because menti B and Lockie D is exactly the combo phrase that Macquarie identified as being like a progenitor and popularization of that word. Michael, why do you hate menti bees? Look, honestly, I just feel like I see the word menti bee too often. I have one every single day. And also, we talked about this last episode as well. I feel like it's really feeding into the cutification of mental health discourse and the fact that we're using all of these like terms to shroud around the actual earnestness of it all. But at the same time, very good for destigmatization. <laughs> <laughs> On to the next word. This one sounds disgusting, and it is disgusting. What is dry scooping? Okay, can I guess? Is it picking up dog poo that has been left to dry, like people who go around with big bags and pick up everyone else's? That is actually immediately what I thought of when I heard this word. But, in fact, I would argue that the definition is worse than that. It's actually worse. It's worse. So... Dry scooping is the practice of ingesting powdered pre-workout supplements or protein powders without mixing them into water or milk as directed. I would just like to say that one time I knew someone who did this and then um, accidentally had too much dry pre-workout powder and then fainted at her place of employment, which was a law firm. (laughs) 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 And then I think had actually had caffeine poisoning. (laughs) So would not recommend anyone dry scoop. just imagine like accidentally breathing in as you dry scoop and then it all going into your lungs and then getting anywhere. It's the cinnamon challenge all over again. On that note, it will not surprise any of you to learn that although the practice was around before 2021, it became very popular on TikTok. So it was submitted to the Macquarie Dictionary in April of this year. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This next one sounds more disgusting than it is. What is a dump cake. Eh. <laughs> um, I have absolutely no idea, so I, I don't know why I buzzed. <laughs> I want to discuss this word in the context of the fact that I call dumplings dumps and everyone shames me for it. Oh, a, a friend of mine used to say, do you want to go take a dump as a way to invite me to Yamcha? So, <laughs> <laughs> I want to imagine that I'm now being vindicated and this actually means like a dumpling mincemeat cake. This does not refer to a dumpling, but it refers to... A verb, which is dumping and a noun, the cake. And a dump cake is where you get a cake tin, you just chuck all of the ingredients into the cake tin, mix it up in the tin you're going to bake it in, and pop it in the oven. This is once again a fake word. Like, no one is using this word, Alex. I guarantee you. Yeah. So dump cake recipes, you are wrong, have actually been around in the US since 1912. (laughs) But... It will not surprise you to learn that it was lockdown bakers who got it gaining traction in Australia and it was submitted to the Macquarie Dictionary this year. Thoughts? Have either of you ever tried a dump cake? I've just Googled it and apparently it's it's almost the same as a cobbler. Guys, I'm actually losing it. Like, this is so insane. (laughs) So now that you've had some guesses, got some right, 
Are you going to pick up any of these words to use in your everyday speech? No, Alex, I hated every single one of those words and think language should never be changed. (laughs) Well, I'll see you in my inbox, mate. (laughs) Look, I feel like the only word that I'm probably possible to use in here is dry scooping when my friend doesn't learn their lesson and faints again in their place of employment, which is a law firm. (laughs) I like that you just had to reiterate that your dry scooper is a lawyer. I believe any profession is dry scooping. I I would say that lawyers are pretty close to the top of the list. Though I have to admit, like, on deadline, I have dry scooped, like, instant coffee before. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I love that for you. Okay, we've come to the part of the show where we perform a public service for you and give you, our valued listener, a window into our very souls. It's top of the list time. Alex, what are you recommending this week? I am recommending a podcast. It is called Nice Try and this season is all about interior design. They just ran a 40-minute episode on bidets. I loved every second of it. You should too. It also is hosted by Avery Truffleman, who I have deep feelings about. All positive. Mine's nerdy again. I'm recommending Tick, Tick, Boom, which is just uh, been uploaded to Netflix. It's a musical by the creator of Rent, Jonathan Larson. It's semi-autobiographical and directed by Hamilton creator Lin-Manuel Miranda. And, like, absolutely by no means is it not faultless. Like, there are some problems (laughs) with it. Fine. But I would say, like, the biggest joy is firstly how much fun everybody is having and the tribute to Broadway and musical theatre legends within it. And secondly, it's just like crammed with Easter eggs for any kind of musical theatre lover like me. It's really, really fun. Very wacky, quite sad. I've got 20 minutes left. I already know how it's going to end. Obviously, it's not going to be a good fun time for me, but I would recommend this. As I actually turned this movie on for 10 minutes, I was like, this is going to chop in Steph's top of the list. (laughs) And it did. And it did. I Um, hate myself. (laughs) And much like everything Steph recommends, I am going to be watching it immediately (laughs) after this show. Goodbye. Not going back to work, watching the musical show. Michael, what about you? What's top of your list? This week I'm recommending an Instagram account called Some Things I Like to Cook. Uh, It's a Melbourne food account from a person called Clementine Day who just shares the most amazing easy recipes. I've been cooking her like lunch recipe, which is just like bread, goat's cheese and anchovies. Um, A word of warning to any like fish hater, not for you, but for all the fishy friends in the world. (laughs) The fishy friends. (laughs) Go forth and prosper. (laughs) Is it a recipe if it's just anchovies and goat's cheese on top? It's a recipe for the culinarily challenged like myself. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and throw us a review. Or just go to theguardian.com forward slash saved for later. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert, Karishma Luthrea and Joe Koning, who also composed our theme music, That's Slashy. <laughs> the executive producers are Gabrielle Jackson and Melanie Tate. The songs used today are Black Sheep Boy by Ockerville River, released by Jag Jaguar, Joni Mitchell's River on the label Reprise, Adele's Easy On Me from Columbia, Waltz Number no. 2 by Elliot Smith on DreamWorks, Carrie and Lowell by Sufjan Stevens on Asthmatic Kitty, and Build a Bitch by Bella Porter from Warner Records. We'll see you next week.
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.